0: So glad you all could be here, and for some of you, this is your first time journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes with us, so I will catch you up very, very quickly. We've been traveling verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this Old Testament wisdom book. There are three wisdom books in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. These three books combined will give you a biblical wholeness fullness of wisdom. You can't just take Proverbs and be wise. You can't just take Ecclesiastes and be wise, and you can't just take Job and be wise. You need to have all three combined in order to give you a biblical sense of wisdom. Proverbs gives many, not promises, but truisms, such as, one of my favorites, train up a child in the way he, she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Well, we know that's not a promise because we've seen many children brought up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they do depart from it. So we know it's not a promise, but it's a general truth, and God has designed the world to work in such a way where if you follow this line of thought, this line of wisdom, this line of teaching, this will be the general result. Ecclesiastes says, well, not always. Not always because there are exceptions to the rules and we live in a broken world, a Genesis 3 world. As Romans 8 would say, a world subjected to futility and frustration by God but in hope that it will one day be restored. Job would come in to say, oh yeah, and don't forget there's supernatural evil at work in the world and that supernatural evil is against you personally if you're a child of God. And so you must take all three wisdom books into account and take all three books holistically if you want to be a wise person. Ecclesiastes has this phrase under the sun and it's used over and over and over again. It means at least three things. It means one, life in this world without God in view. It can mean that. It can mean life without eternity in view. So this world is all there is. It's the secular view, the materialistic view of the world. This here and now, secular, is all there is. It could also mean at times life in a cursed world, life in a frustrated world, life in a world that is broken. Life in a world that do- doesn't always add up. And bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. Speaking on a human level. Okay, this is what under the sun means. And depending on the context, you can find what the author is getting at. Now, in this chapter 11, we are going to start with verse 1. And we're just going to travel the whole way through. It's only 10 verses. It's a very short chapter. And the emphasis here is on... Work and endeavors and being ambitious and also enjoying life. Living life to the full with energy, with ambition while you're living life. Okay. Chapter 11 begins to look up and then chapter 12, we have the resolution of the entire book. It starts to get a little brighter in chapter 11. And I think the chapters previous, 1 through 10, were pretty, pretty dark and at times very dark. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. All right, that's cryptic, that's strange. What's it saying? It's talking about you investing. You investing. And it's investing your efforts in such a way that you spread them out and we would say it like this in American idiom, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So casting your bread upon the waters probably means this. Bread is, is a, like a metaphor for your income, what you have, you use your money to eat with in a, in a subsistence type of culture. And so when you would make investments, you would actually often send them out on ships, exporting and you would not have an immediate return and it was also subject to danger when you would send investments out on a ship but the hope is there will be a profit a profit for your goods a profit maybe to go out to try to find something valuable to bring back there would in hopes of this endeavor here be a a profit a return for your efforts And the wisdom of verse 2 says, give a portion, a portion of your investment here, a portion of your investment to seven or even to eight. Why would we spread out our investments and not just put all our eggs in one basket? Well, because you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. Now you'll like this, the New York Times back in January of 19 uh, chronicled a cargo ship losing 277 of those massive shipping containers. This is what they look like. Okay. The wind came upon this MSC shipping liner and, and these giant crates containing goods, products, just dove into the ocean and some of them sunk to the bottom, some of them opened up, and they floated uh, onto the beach. This is a picture of a couple of them in the ocean. There's a portion of what this New York Times article, uh, that the title of it is, Toxic Peroxide Found on Dutch Beach After Carbo- Cargo Ship Loses 227 Containers. The Dutch authorities were struggling on Friday to respond to a possible environmental crisis after a a cargo ship sailing the North Sea during a storm lost 277 giant shipping containers. The Netherlands deployed 100 troops to help clean up after the pan, uh, after the flagged cargo ship MSC Zoe hit heavy water that threw hundreds of the colorful containers overboard. The Mediterranean shipping company, which owns the vessel, said this in a statement. These are some of the things that washed up on shore. And there's little kids' sandals. Those are flat screen TVs. See that? Giant flat screens. These actually are, are containers from Ikea. In fact, you can see Ikea packaging right here. Those of you who love Ikea, you know that famous looking label there. I have these in my house, these My Little Ponies with these exact combs, like my kids have those, they're bath toys, and these are the kinds of things that washed up on shore from these shipping containers, just massive amounts of goods. Now imagine if your little store, your little corner store, was dependent on all the things inside of this shipping container, or or maybe you just heavily invested in plastic My Little Ponies too bad for you. Like they're they're not floating in the ocean. Now this is a a silly illustration of verses one and two, but the idea is we we can make plans, we can make investments, and we we just don't know what can happen. Okay, We, we experienced this as a church. We just half a mile down the road sought to invest in a church building. We poured hundreds of man hours and thousands and thousands of dollars, including labor, well over $100,000 into this building. And, you know, God was like, this is not the building for you. And he kept, and I say he, because I really believe this was God. He kept flooding it. He kept making it grow mold. He kept um, destroying our efforts with code enforcement. And finally, we we were like, you know what, this is not what God wants. And we we shut the, the whole operation down by God's grace. And Psalm 127 uh, was applicable to us. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. That was us. We could put as much effort, as much energy, as much wisdom, as many contractors, as much dollars, and and there was no fruit for our labors. In fact, it got worse the more we invested Till we finally said, this this is not what God wants. Can we fight against the hand of God is kind of what it felt like. And the answer is no. And so the admonition here is spread out your investments. Now, some of you buy stocks, some of you don't. Some of you invest, some of you don't. But if, if any company is reputable, we would say Uber would be reputable, right? A, a bunch of you in here are Uber drivers. Well, Uber went public just recently. Maybe some of you know this. Uber's stock In May, what went public, you could have bought it in May, and it was $45 a share when it came out. Almost immediately, it started plunging, plunging, plunging. Today, I just checked today, it's worth $27 a share. Now, the early employees were given stock options. You you will get a big buy into this company, and, and this company is gonna take off, and you are gonna be a millionaire, maybe a billionaire, and Sadly, a lot of those dreams were not realized because they were told at the low end, the stock's gonna be worth 40, but at the high end, it's gonna be 100 or above. And so you know, many Uber employees and executives had visions of being billionaires. Not so much anymore. Okay? Now, that's not to say that over time, the stock won't go up and whatnot, but they're laying off tons of employees even now. Okay? And, and the idea is, You don't know what's gonna happen. So don't put all your eggs in one basket. Solomon is advising us here. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. So that is an encouragement to actually take some risk and do some investing. Now, I don't mean in stock or mutual funds or or CDs. I'm I'm investing is, is a general term I'm giving you guys. Go for profit, Solomon's saying. Do something that will bring gain. And I would add, gain for the kingdom of God is the best investment that you could invest in. All wealth is temporary, but wealth invested in eternity will come back to a degree of increasement that we can't even measure. Store up treasure in heaven where, you're, where moth and rust will not destroy and where thieves won't break in and steal. But we do need material gain, earthly speaking, to be able to invest in heavenly gain. And if you don't have any material gain to invest in the kingdom of God, you can use your bodily energy and the skills and the abilities and the talents and the time that God has given you to invest in his kingdom, and it will not go unrewarded. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What this means is human beings cannot control the clouds which bring the rain And rain is essential for agriculture, especially in this culture where they didn't have modern irrigation technology. You were absolutely dependent on God bringing the rain for you to yield a crop that would then be able to be sold to be able to bring a profit. And so if the clouds are full of rain, they will empty themselves on the earth. And just like when a windstorm comes through, this big, solid, massive tree that was standing upright is now laying on its side, and you don't have any control over that. Has anyone in here ever had their, their house smashed by a large tree, or a car smashed by a large tree, or no, your, your shed half smashed? All right, well, I'll hear that story later. But the idea is we, we don't get to control when these types of disasters happen. We don't get to control when the clouds come And cause the plants to grow, which then brings the farmers profit and brings us food and brings the animals food. And we don't control the winds that can cause destruction. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards clouds will not reap. That verse four there is pointing to you looking for the ideal and perfect situation before taking action. So the idea here is if I'm a farmer and I'm observing the wind and I'm observing the clouds, notice the tree falls because of the wind and the clouds bring the rain. If I'm looking for the perfect conditions before I sow, the farmer goes out to sow. That means plant. That means exert effort and energy in hopes that something will grow, that you can harvest, that you can sell and make a profit. It's like investing, sowing. If you wait for the perfect conditions before you take action and put in some effort, the perfect time will never come. They'll never come. That's why he says, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. You can't reap what you don't sow. And if you're always waiting for the perfect time, the perfect time will never come. You know, I I talk to potential parents quite often, right? And parents, is there ever a good time to have a kid? No, never. It'll never come. So you're waiting for this perfect moment in history. It's not coming. Okay? And, and, and so here's, here's a little bit of, of like tempering what is being said here. Solomon is not advising you just throw all your chips in, be unwise, and, and just go for it. He's not saying that. You, you do need to observe the environment observe what you're investing in, be wise, but you can't be stuck and frozen until there's absolute perfect conditions. Any major decision that you've ever made that yielded gain and profit and fruit, was it ever an ideal and perfect environment or situation that you made that decision in? I'm not seeing any heads shaking yes, No, the condition is always we live in a broken world and we live in a world that doesn't yield perfect conditions to us. So you have to take risk. You can't wait and try to read the signs of the world before you make a move. and, And further, here's what's being said. If you're this type of person that is overly fearful, Okay, some of us are overly ambitious, and we 've had much loss. You guys need to chill. but for those of us who are overly um, fearful and, and, and you know you won't even buy ice cream because you're afraid that the stock market's going to crash, so you won't shell out three bucks for, for a half gallon of ice cream, like you need to buy the ice cream and, and stop worrying so much you're not in control of the world. And the way the world works and the what happens in the world God is. And we'll get to the place in just a moment where that's a good thing because God is in control and you're not. And if you know the one who controls the world, you'll be okay ultimately. You'll be okay ultimately. Now, Jesus here talks about counting the cost. So so this is how I want to kind of temper the ambition that's being called for here. This is in the context of following Jesus and being his disciple. He's like, look, don't don't just, without thought, come and follow me. You need to understand what you're getting into. And so this is Jesus' way of saying, count the cost. For which of you, Luke 14, 28 to 33, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Okay, so they're saying here that there was not enough income, or maybe you based your decision to start something on income you thought would come in, but it never came in. Whatever the reason, this person was not able to finish the task they started. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have half-finished tasks? half-finished endeavors. Thanks for being honest there, brother. We, we all could put our hand up, I'm sure, you know. My, my, my basement is half, you know, playroom and half office and half library, and the half-finished books are plethora. They're just everywhere, okay. I could start a half-priced book with my half-finished books. I could start a whole store with them, and, and I'm committed to at least now finishing what I start and not moving on to the next. So Jesus here is saying, count the cost before you start to take something big on. And in this context, the taking something big on is following him. It's going to cost you a lot. Make sure you consider that before you just jump right in. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate? whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Second illustration is of a king going to war and finding out with your 10,000, if you're strong enough, if you have the strategies enough, if you have the weaponry enough to fight a larger army with 20,000. And if you don't, you better send out delegates to make peace before war comes upon you and you get taken. Count the cost. Figure out what you're doing. So, so maybe we could just make a helpful practical application here, okay? It's good to plan, And try to see all angles of a situation. It's good to do that. However, you must realize that you cannot see every angle of every situation. Just like you don't control the clouds coming in and dropping the rain or a drought, just like you don't get to control the wind that blows trees over and God decides where they're gonna land when he blows them over, so you cannot see all the angles. However, we're not told to be foolish, this was last week's message, do not be foolish but use wisdom. So try to see as many angles as you can but know that you cannot see them all and then make a decision. With many counselors, there is wisdom. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth and if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Consider the angles, but know that you cannot consider every angle. 1-5, or I'm sorry, 11-5. We're already halfway through. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I love this verse. Okay, now, now I have to, I have to go here. Friends, if you're still on the fence of whether a baby in a womb is a person or a non-person, especially in the context of abortion, this verse, among many other Bible verses, should clarify this in your thoughts. Look at this. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. When Adam was formed out of the dust, what happened to him by God to make him come alive? God breathed into him the breath of life. Do you know what word that word breath is? It's the word spirit. That word. Friends, This literally means that God brings life, his life, to babies in the womb. The bones are the body, the physical part. The life comes from God himself. And where does it happen? In the womb. Make no mistake about it. The biblical worldview would say, as soon as there is conception in the womb, there is life. And if you destroy that life in the womb regardless of what you think about it you are killing life let it be clarified in your thinking have a biblical worldview not a political worldview have a biblical worldview not a secular humanistic medical worldview all right i love you guys and i love the word of god and i must at least say what it says clearly all right all right, I love you guys. But that's not what this is talking about, is it? That's, that's kind of a sidebar that I think we must say if we're reading a verse like this. What this saying is saying is, you are ignorant, and I am ignorant, about how God does most things in his world. We have no idea how God makes alive a human baby inside the womb, and then does his I, I want to say magical because it is magical. He does his magical work. For God to use magic, it's okay. Okay, For you to use dark magic, it's sin and you're, you're going to be condemned. But for God to use magic, it's the good kind. It's the C.S. Lewis kind of magic. When God does his magic on a human baby in a womb, listen, what he's doing is he's forming personality He's forming the aptitudes and the giftings and the intellectual capacities. He's for, like, I was not born with, you know, great basketball skills. I was born with the height to play basketball, but I'm not that good. No, none of you would ever pay to watch me play, ever. And if you did, you'd be disappointed, okay? but, but for LeBron James, God was in the womb of his mother being like, you're going to be a baller. <laughs> like, you're going to kill it, Okay that's God okay it wasn't because LeBron practiced more than everyone else and shot three throws free throws more than ever now he did that but without that raw gifting of God he's not gonna be that good he's not better than Michael Jordan for no reason and I just made some of you mad but that's okay (laughs) I'm an old school Jordan fan I'm an 80s kid the idea is God does this mysterious forming. This is what Psalm 139 says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You, you formed my inward parts. Before a day was upon me, I'm paraphrasing now, you knew it completely. Before a word's on my tongue, you, you know it completely. Every one of my days written in your book before one of them took place. Psalm 139 is an, an amazing psalm. And, and what's being said here is You don't know the work of God who makes everything. This is mysterious glory to us. And you should be in awe of it. Like We can't do this with our technology, what God does and has been doing since the let there be light. And on day six, he creates human beings. He's been doing it ever since then. God is the master creator, the capital C, creator. And and what's being advised here in context, remember, we're being encouraged to live life in such a way where you invest and look for profit, but remember, you don't control the world, but God does. Just like you don't understand how the spirit or life comes to a baby in the womb, so you do not know the work of God who makes all Now Psalm 104 is one of my favorite psalms. How many of you like Psalm 104? One of you. Excellent. All right. So now after I display this for you, you're going to like it because it's a great psalm and it illustrates this, the work of God who makes everything. Psalm 104 is praising God for his providential providing care of all his creation. So let's look at it quickly. 10 to 15, Psalm 104, you make springs, the you make is God. So, so we're seeing the work of God that we don't understand and don't control, but this psalm praises him for his work. You make springs gush forth in the valley, they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. Okay, that, that, uh, that section of verses 10 through 12 there, talking about springs creating rivers. Uh, I had the privilege of going to the source of the Nile River last year, and it, it connects to Lake Victoria. And you can see, if you look, these the flow of the springs underneath uh, the, the, the start of the Nile there, and it starts to push the water north. It's one of the only rivers that go north. Starts uh, in Uganda and goes north into Egypt, okay? But you could see the underground springs pushing up the water, and then the water that's stagnant over here, lake, and it starts to flow and move north, and it's the Nile. And, and I saw hippos in the Nile, and I saw all kind of dangerous things there that this verse says God is feeding them uh, with this river that starts with springs. Okay? They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. How do the mountains get watered? Well, clouds do Precipitation. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You, notice the you, this is all God's doing. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. God has created this amazing thing called earth and soil, and if you put certain things into it called seeds and then add water and sunlight, it amazingly will grow you food. And the earth does that all by itself, Jesus says. He he illustrates this in another parable where he says a farmer goes out and he plants the seed and it grows, and he does not know how. First, the sprout then the grain, then the head in the grain, and then he harvests. But you know what uh, Jesus emphasizes the farmer's work is? He sows, and then he sleeps, and then he gets up, and it happens all by itself. This is the work of God. And friends, you do realize that without the sun... The water doesn't evaporate and turn into, you know, vapor into the clouds and then drop and then water the earth to create plants to feed the animals and we eat the plants and animals. It's all happening from our little yellow dwarf star that God made that keeps us in orbit, that gives energy to the world. You know, the the amount of power to evaporate water, to take it up to a mountain and then water an entire mountain. I mean, how many batteries would that take? You know, how many 220 lines would you have to run to make that happen? And God just does it all the time. God God is amazingly making His world work. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that He planted. So this says, God planted the forest of Lebanon, and He's the one that cares for it. We don't, he does. He keeps the forest alive and all that is in it. In them, in the forest, the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir tree. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when the beasts of the forest creep about. This is the idea that God also gave us the moon and stars, and before GPS and satellite technology and smartphone technology, they navigated by stars. The stars were the map of the world, and by the stars, you knew where you were, and you knew what time it was by where the sun was and where the moon was during the night and during the day, and this is God's doing. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God when the sun rises they steal away and lie down in their dens man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening O lord how manifold are your works in wisdom have you made them all the earth is full of your creatures i love it you like psalm 104 okay it's good Notice man, verse 23, goes out to his work and his labor until evening. Like we have a place among all God's work. We also are to go out and do the work. And by our doing work, we are doing the work of God. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Cultivate, create culture, and spread this all over the earth. Do good. Do good to one another. Do good to my creation. Steward it. Take care of it. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. In the book of Job, the Leviathan is this sea creature monster that fishermen cannot even subdue. And amazingly, it breathes fire and it breathes smoke from its nostrils. And when it's underwater doing this, it makes the ocean bubble and boil. Read it for yourself. It's it's this amazing creature. And God says, you made the ocean and the Leviathan to play in it. It's its playground. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, spirit, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains And they smoke. Notice that the refrain over and over is God is doing this. God is feeding his animals. God is making the rain fall on the mountains. God is feeding the fish. God is feeding Leviathan. If he chooses to pull back, what happens? They are dismayed. Verse twenty-nine. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away your, their breath. So when God decides to remove breath from His creatures, to remove spirit from His creatures, whether plant, or I'm sorry, whether animals or fish or leviathan or humans, what happens? They turn back to their dust. Because God makes the earth to absorb living things, and then. It re-emerges new life as plants and oil, which we make all kinds of products from. Now, we should realize that God is deeply in control in ways that could be disturbing. This is what Jesus says about God's control of even the birds and their perishing. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The idea is that sparrows are not very expensive birds. And yet God is in control to a degree that they don't fall to the ground and perish. He takes his spirit from them without him being the one that gives authorization to that spirit leaving. In addition, he says, Oh, and by the way, every one of your hairs on your entire body are numbered by God at any given time. That means that God is intimately involved with the very smallest of details on this earth. And in addition, He's involved in your life to a degree that you do not realize, that you do not acknowledge, that you do not feel or sense. Yet, the idea from Psalm 104 and from this text is that God is so intimately involved that if He stepped back, even for a moment, all things would perish. All life would end. Human existence as we know it would dissipate and disappear. See, God did not kind of wind the world up and use the natural laws like the water cycle and the law of gravity and you know the survival of the fittest to just govern the world. And then he went back and played chess with, with Gabriel and Michael the archangel. He just kind of looks over his shoulder every now and then to see how it's going. These texts literally say that he is intimately involved regularly and daily in your life and in his world. This is what the providence of God teaches. Now, that means that he is involved in your life to a degree that either you will be happy about that or you will be disturbed about that depending on your relationship with him. If you have a good relationship with him, the Bible would say that you are a son or a daughter of him, then you shouldn't fear. Therefore, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And if God is caring for the sparrows in such a way where they can't die without his allowing it, sovereignly saying, okay, 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 then that means you're in his hands too. But see, if you either deny his existence or rather you're going your own way and kind of stiff arming him and saying, I'll have it my way. I'll do it my way. Don't interfere with my life. Don't you dare tell me how I should live. Don't you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm giving you the very breath in your lungs right now. And that heart beating right now that you're not controlling, that's me. Are you sure you want to stray that far from me? Are you sure you want to stiff arm me? Are you sure you want to act like I don't exist and live like I don't exist? Are you sure you want to live in such a way as if you're not going to meet me someday? Are you sure you want to live in such a way that you're not going to give an account for all of your deeds, all of your thoughts, all of your motivations? Are you sure you want to live that way? Because I'll let you if you want to, but there will be a day of reckoning. That's what God says. But see, for, for those of us who will, in a sense, bow the knee to his sovereign rule and care, we can joyfully say, I'm glad. I am glad that you are intimately involved in my everyday life. Which one will it be for you? Now, we're halfway through, so let's, let's keep going. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The idea here is God is at work in the world, and His ways are not revealed to us. What He does want revealed to us, we have in His Word, and we should go by that. But his mysterious providence, the way the world works, current events, all of them God's current events, all of them working into his perfect plans, history's moving in God's direction, not away from God's direction, okay? We don't know what God's up to, but what we must do is whatever we have in front of us and the life God has given us to live, we should live with all our might. This is where he goes next. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that. Does any old hip-hop songs come to mind? You could get with this, or you could get, anyway. Or whether both alike will be good. Okay, so the idea there is, you don't know when you're sowing your investments, when you're desiring profit, when you're desiring gain in life, you don't know which one is going to go well and which one's going to flop. How many of you moved in a brilliant direction that you thought was going to take off and now it's a long forgotten dream? And then how many of you have stumbled on a path of prosperity that you were not even looking for? The the idea here is in the morning sow your seed. Now remember, he's talking to an ancient culture that relied on agriculture and farming. Okay, so you sow your seed in the morning, and at evening, do not withhold your hand. Morning and evening means a whole day, a full day's work. Like, go out in the morning and work with all your might during the day. Why? Because you do not know which will prosper. Don't hold back. Don't be lazy. Don't be um, giving it your all. The New Testament would say, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Okay, why? Because you don't know which of your endeavors is going to prosper. This or that. Or whether both alike will be good. You know, maybe, maybe all of your efforts will go well and God will move through all of them. Maybe. So so the idea is whatever is in front of you to do. Right? We, we, we always have this temptation of human beings to not be satisfied where we're at right now and then always be looking into the future for some kind of joy that's unattainable. It's like, it's just out there. If I could just reach a little further. The idea is whatever he's given you to do now, do that with all your might while still looking forward, but being satisfied, thankful, and joyful in the now. Because how tragic would it be to always be reaching and never grasping, and then one day you're in the grave and you've never, ever grasped satisfaction even once? Because you were always wondering, where, when will I get there? When will it come to me? When is my time? Friends, you can enjoy tonight. You could be thankful tonight. You could go to sleep tonight in peaceful rest of soul. That is available for you tonight rather than anxious sleeplessness worried about tomorrow next month and next year which one do you want i don't want to live my life restless and anxious but sadly it comes to me often unbidden how about you the author of the offer of jesus christ is come to me All you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest, rest for your soul. Now this verse seven, it's a turning point. Look at this. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Okay, this reference to seeing the sun, it's not meaning under the sun. He he's changing the mood. And now what's going to happen from here to the end of the book is we're looking up. We're coming to a conclusion. This is the whole sum of the matter. And to see the sun now, he says, is a beautiful thing. You should rejoice that you can wake up in the morning, go out, even if it's 30 degrees in Pittsburgh on November 12th, and... Breathe in the air, see the sunshine, and rejoice. Listen to the birds and know they're God's birds and he's caring for them. And he will also care for you too. That's available for you tomorrow morning. Are you going to take advantage? Are you going to curse and spit at your iPhone alarm at 6 a.m.? and Throw it across the room and curse the day you were born. (laughs) What's it going to be? okay? Now I'm exaggerating for, for comic sake and effect, but, but you get the idea. I, I, I'm, I'm contrasting two extremes, and we've been to both, haven't we? Like you don't want to get up in the morning, and you snooze six times, and you dread the day, and you're, you're just depressed, but then other days, you wake up, and you breathe the air, and you are full of thankfulness, and you realize you are God's son or daughter, and God's world, and it's like, I, I know there's bad things in my life, but you know what? Praise God, I'm alive. and know oh, that we would have more of those days, and this verse 7 is saying, have more of those days. That's the commendation here. So, verse 8, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them. This is the commendation. If you get to live many years, what should you do? You should rejoice and be thankful and take joy in the many years that God has given you. Rejoice in these gifts of years, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Now, he's taking the perspective here that death will come. This has been the entire mood of the book, if you will. So the idea is, because death is coming, where you can't live when you're in the grave. Now, remember, he's not taking the perspective of eternity here. He's not imagining life beyond the grave. He's saying, when you're dead, you can't enjoy this life in its present form. So while you're here and now, enjoy life. See the sun. Soak it in. And know that all that comes is vanity. Remember that word vanity. What's it mean? I've told you a thousand times. Breath, vapor, mist. Breath, vapor, mist. Short. Short. All that comes is is short. Our time is so short here on earth. So short. If you get to live 85 or 90 years, what is that to billions times billions of years that is promised in the Bible for every person? So, So live now while you have the breath of life and the sun to look at because death is coming. That's the darkness. And all that comes is vanity, breath, wind, vapor. It's coming so fast and all that you work for will be lost. So live and enjoy now and invest for eternity. That's that's the idea we should have in our minds about life. Last two verses. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Here's the idea. When we're young, we should rejoice. Be, be happy about your youth. Take joy in your youth. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Now, this, this walk in the ways of your heart is not our common idiom, just follow your heart. That's not what's being said here. Okay? That wasn't anywhere near Solomon's thoughts. He, Disney did not even make his first movie yet. Okay? So this is not what he's thinking. What he's encouraging here is not hedonism, but rather living life to its fullest capacity. Remember the context. Invest, look for gain from morning to evening. Do your work and do it with vigor. Rejoice to see the light and live and enjoy your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But you must, while you're in a sense living life to the full, you must remember this, friends. God will bring you into judgment that should be on repeat in the back of your head. That what I'm doing will have to come into judgment. That's what's being warned here. And he's saying, remove vexation from your hearts and put away pain from your body. That word vexation means this. It means an act of harassing, troubling, or irritating... An act of harassing, troubling, or irritating. So literally, he's like, put away from yourself the harassment of yourself. How many of you harass yourself to death in your inner being? Okay, put it away, <laughs> this is what he's saying. Put it away. Put away the troubling and the irritation that you bring on yourself. I know oh, if it was that easy, if we all just were like, all right, I'm done. Never going to do that again. Wouldn't that be awesome? It doesn't work like that. But, but the idea and, and the encouragement here is you, you don't have to and you shouldn't live like that. And put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember vanity, mist, vapor, breath. Short. Short. It's very short. It's here and then it's gone. Okay. Now, I have to ask a simple question in closing. How are we able to live with a heart full of cheer? See that in verse 9? Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. How, how are we to walk in this cheerness of heart and, and living life with what our eyes can currently see, where we're at in the space and time, with the circumstance, situation God has given us? How can we do this if we know that God will bring us into judgment? Like... Isn't there a a strange paradox there that if we're going to judgment day, how can we not be anxious and troubled and harassed in soul and irritated by that impending judgment? Isn't that a question we should ask? And for those of us who are so gospel-centered, you know where I'm going. The only answer is twofold. One, it's that you must embrace and receive the judgment that has already been accomplished for you. That God Himself received His own judgment in your place as a substitute. God punished God so He wouldn't have to punish you. The judgment that you and I deserve fell on God Himself. This is the gospel. That, that we deserve judgment, that we deserve a right and holy and perfect writing of every wrong we've ever done, even in our inner thought life, even in our motives. We deserve that from a holy and righteous God. But yet God said, you know what? I'm merciful and I am loving to the degree that I will take that judgment upon myself. I will divert it from you and reflect it from you and I will absorb it for you. So that the promise of John chapter 1 is to those who receive Jesus, who believe in His name, He gives the right to become the children, the sons and daughters of God. That's the only way that we can live. It's the only way I know how. How to live a life that is joyful and enjoying the life that God has given us, seeing the sun, rejoicing in it, living life and making efforts to see improvement and good happen, but not fearing judgment. The only way I know how to do that is to embrace the judgment of God that fell on God instead of me. And then secondly, you have to embrace that for those who has, have had that judgment deflected onto Jesus on the cross, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, we are safe from the judgment for the penalty of our sins. But friends, we do still have a judgment to come, and it's for how we live our lives now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There is a text in the New Testament. In fact, it's in First Corinthians 3 that talks about your life Being stacked up before God on judgment day. And it's either going to be in the form of wood, hay, and stubble, very perishable things when fire hits it, or it's going to be precious stones and metals that cannot be touched by fire and that survive the judgment of God. And only what is left after that judgment will be your reward and will last forever. It's 1 Corinthians 3. So we can anticipate that judgment. Some of you were looking at me like you don't believe me. Look, here it is. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. See that capital D there? Judgment day. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Fire in the scriptures is always either a purifying or a judging metaphor. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, remember the foundation in verse 11, there's Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So friends, you have a choice. To live your life in such a way where you are building treasure for that judgment day and you look forward to judgment day and say, this is what I've been living for. I've been waiting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This is the day I've been waiting for all my life. And you can live your life in such a way now where you store up treasure for that great day. So who are you living for and what are you living for? Are you investing in the kingdom of God so that when that great day comes, you won't suffer loss, but yet you yourself be saved? Friends, if you're alive, it's not too late. You can start investing tonight. Who in your life needs you to reach out to them and encourage them, pray for them, send them a good book, come walk alongside them, start reading the Bible with them? In so doing, just those simple acts that we can all do, you can start storing up treasure in heaven. And there's many ways to do good to others and store up treasure, but that's another sermon.